If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. You're listening to Boobies and Newbies, brought to you by the Frolic Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Shelley Lawrenston, Breaking Badger. Fans of Thea Harrison and Nalini Singh won't want to miss this exciting, funny, and sexy novel in the mega-popular Honey Badger Chronicles series. Now, I don't know about you, but I, for one, had never read a Honey Badger romance before this one, especially not one with a Siberian tiger shifter as the romantic interest. So this was a first for me. Finn Malone, Siberian Tiger Shifter, and Honey Badger Shifter, Mad's Gallon Daughter, both appeared in previous books in the Honey Badger Chronicles, but this story cast them as the central couple amidst their kooky and dangerous friends. Breaking Badger is a wacky, violent, high-octane thrill ride from beginning to end, not to mention a high dose of snark and sass, two of my favorite qualities in a book and person. I highly recommend this book to anyone that loves zany characters, a fast-paced plot, and kick-ass women, plus the men who lust after them. And who doesn't want a fun, paranormal, spooky kind of read for the month of October? Am I right? You can find Breaking Badger along with the rest of the Honey Badger Chronicles series by Shelley Lawrenston wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. And now, back to the show. that asks novice romance readers to think outside the dick in a box and brave the unbridled world of erotica. I'm your host, Kelly Reynolds, and it is time for another steamy spotlight interview. 
I hope everybody has been enjoying our month of Hollywood hotness thus far. And even though we won't be doing a book review for today's episode, I can happily say that the book we will be talking about today definitely fits within the confines of Hollywood. A hashtag basic, hashtag millennial take on Hollywood, that is. My guest today is New York Times bestselling author Tessa Bailey, whose latest release, It Happened One Summer, is sure to give you all of the small town, steamy summer vibes you've been craving. Tessa and I recently appeared on a virtual panel together at the Burbank Public Library alongside Lucy Score and librarian Jessica Buck. And I'll admit it was a little difficult to keep my fangirling to a minimum, though she may not know it. Tessa is actually one of my one-click authors whom I've been reading since her very first book circa 2013. Here to talk about romance, writing, and of course her brand new release, it's Tessa Bailey. Hello, Kelly. (laughs) So good to be here. So good to see you again, like twice in um, a month. Yeah, I mean, I mean we're, we're basically course. married in, so, in some states, I think <laughs> that constitutes a, a union. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I've seen you. I've seen you via Zoom more often than I've seen some of my very best friends. So um, there it's you a, go. It's a pandemic year. You're, you're excused. <laughs> I think we can all say that. We've been on Zooms way more often than we want to be. <laughs> it's true. It's nice to, it's, I think it's nice. Like I kind of like feel like like in the beginning of this pandemic, the the zooming was very overwhelming, and now I've really settled yes. into it and started to almost prefer it. Yeah, it's interesting how we have that time where it's like that's all anybody was doing, like whether it was you know meetings, interviews, whatever it was, and then people got burnt out by Zoom and just kind of like stepped away from it, and then now now we're kind of settling in into like the happy medium. I think you think you're right. Yeah. And I like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't scare me anymore. I would get really get worried and I would get like sweaty, clammy palms, like before going on to a Zoom. And now it just kind of feels like second nature. It's interesting because I, I think about it and I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to be like so present and visual like for Zoom. But at the same time, I feel like there's an understanding that the world now shares with each other of like, well, I haven't put on makeup in, in 18 months. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. Like, no, there's just like, you can be late. You can not look your best. You can wear sweatpants and people all understand and don't seem to care, which I appreciate. <laughs> I do too. And you see a lot of people with like their dogs running around in the background, like newscasters or things. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and nobody even really talks about it anymore. Like in the beginning, that was like a blooper. <laughs> and now if you're if there isn't somebody with like a child running into the room in a diaper it's it's weird you know yeah we we've told yeah. yeah we've embraced the culture the zoom culture it's true well and you live in new york right yes i live on Long island and so i one of my favorite things that came early out in the pandemic was the saturday night live episodes that they were doing at home and one of my favorite things from that is the newscaster who's like kid is filming him and always turns on the filters, like the Snapchat filters <laughs> while he's reporting the news. And I'm just like, if that is not the most 2020 thing ever, I don't know what is. <laughs> there was a couple of times in the beginning where I, my daughter had to come in and like tell me how to take off certain filters. Like I was, I, I was like, help me figure this out. Um, but yeah, actually last, just last week I saw, um, I think it was a TikTok of a professor 
who like was who did an entire um test recap as a potato, as a potato. Did you see that? I saw it I saw it oh my gosh I somebody sent it to me and I was like what the hell is this because you're waiting there's like this big intro music and then all of a sudden potato face <laughs> potato and he just like and it, it's kind of genius like I don't know if he pretended like it wasn't planned because I, I guarantee those kids paid like 200% more attention <laughs> To the potato face, you know, like then you're boring old professor. So, uh, yeah, genius move on his part. And now he will always be the professor who went viral on TikTok as a potato, which I mean, I bet he's going to have a lot of people signing up for his class next semester. I want to sign up for it. I'm, I'm in. What class is that? I don't know. Oh, gosh. Well, Tessa, like I mentioned, I have a very unique relationship with your books in that I'm pretty sure I actually did start with your very first book, Protecting What's His, which was book one in the Line of Duty series. And I had no idea until we did our panel together that that was actually your first book. Yeah, I I didn't know that you were like a a reader from the day. Like, I didn't know that. Um. It was my first book. It, it wasn't the first book I had ever written, but it's the first one that ever got published. And it's weird. Like I wrote a hockey book <laughs> and submitted and submitted that to Entangled, uh, who eventually became my first publisher. Mm-hmm. And I never heard back about it. Um, and, you know, it, honestly, I think it could have been either one. It could have been either one they contacted me about. It ended up being this, uh, this cop series. Yeah. And yeah, and the rest is history. I just kept writing them. <laughs> I just was like, I guess this is what I do now. I write about cops. <laughs> yeah, so, it, it, you know, those characters still, people still bring those characters up to me and kind of ask how they're doing. And there's something that's really um, nostalgic and just kind of like, I could, I feel like I could crawl back into those the skin of those characters and write them right yeah. now, which is really, really cool. So I miss them sometimes. I mean, it just shows how near and dear to your heart they are. They are, um, especially Brent Mason, I would say. Uh, he's from Asking for Trouble. He, he He's a character, like, I always am tempted to write another one of his types in a book. Mm. And it's it's funny, like, I can't, I can never write the same character twice. Like as as hard as much as I want to like revisit him in a different in different like a different skin or something, there's always some sort of difference. Um, I think it's like my heart being like, nope, there's only one. Nope, <laughs> they're each they're each their own snowflake. <laughs> yes, exactly. Big like brash, dirty talking snowflakes. <laughs> that's I mean, hello, like come on, that's what's not great about that. But um, yeah, I that is still one of my um one of my like go to rereads as well because um and it's not even that it was like the beginning of my romance reading journey because like I started reading romance in 2009 so there were a few years between um but it's that book and it's ginger and the sister relationship in it and of course the dirty talking cop but there and who could forget if you've read the book Dolly Parton I mean it it, she plays a (laughs) pivotal role in the story. Um, and so I, I don't know what it is that, you know, about that specific book of all the books of yours that I've read that has stood out to me and stood the test of time for so long. But if people haven't read it, I highly suggest that you do pick up a copy of Protecting What Says. Thank you. Yeah, I had a really hard time moving on from those from that couple. They, I feel like they kind of grew with me 
mm-hmm. you know, like they were growing at the same time that I was learning how to be an author because I didn't know anything about authoring. Like I wasn't in the romance community. I wasn't on romance Twitter and I wasn't on and like these Goodreads groups. And I, I had no um, kind of frame of reference for what I was doing. Sure. So I just wrote a book. I just wrote a story. And then like there was originally there was like a second storyline running through that of Willa's character and her boyfriend that mm-hmm. she met. There, so there was like a new adult novel ru- like running together with this erotic adult novel. <laughs> and like the, the editor who Heather who picked it up at Entangle, she was like, hi, you're, you're a great writer. We need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> we really need to talk. She was like, first of all, you can't have four different like stories happening in this one book. Like you need to separate it. Um, focus on the adult characters. She's like, and also let's, let's nail down your tropes. And I was like, what's a trope. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what that is. Um, so she kind of like had to teach me how to like plan, how to know uh, <laughs> what audience I'm appealing to and like what word count I needed to like fit a certain category. And I just like, didn't know anything. And <laughs> I, you know, I'm just really grateful for the people like along the way that helped yeah. me learn what I was doing and my, you know, like how to craft a story correctly and fit a category and fit a niche. But I really feel like those characters of Derek and Ginger, like they were there with me through all of that. And I, you know, I, they, I shaped their story at the same time I was kind of shaping my, this career that I have now. So um, I had a hard time letting them go. So I ended up carrying them over to like a different series, crossing yeah. the series. And then <laughs> Willa, the little sister, I got her own book um, in Unfixable and um, it was hard to move on from them. But I, you know, I still think about them all the time. They're still fine. They're fine. They're living in Chicago. They yeah. Got, like, probably two kids now. <laughs> oh, Chicago's my favorite too. Like that's probably the other reason I love that series is that I lived for a couple years in Chicago and love it dearly. But yeah, it's interesting though that you mentioned sort of like coming into it blind, like, well, I'm just right. I just want to write the book. Like, I just want to write these characters because I feel like there's something refreshing about that too. Like, I wonder if it had been, if they would have had the same book had you come into it, like knowing everything already, like, oh, I have to be thinking about this. I have to be thinking about this. Like, it might not have been the same, the same story from the get go. Yeah, I don't think so. And I think that's why still to this day, you know, math, eight years later, nine years later almost, um, I avoid, you know, critique partners and I avoid Mm. like my local RWA chapter and I avoid being a part of any organizations like that because I don't want anybody shaping the way I think and the way I, well, in terms of writing, you Mm -hmm. know, like socially that's different. I think, you know, like we need to be socially aware and we need to pay attention to what people are saying. But when it comes to writing, like especially Twitter, I get a lot, when I got on there, I see a lot of people talking about the way things should be and the way stories should be crafted and the way Mm. like things that should be included and shouldn't be. And I feel like then I'm starting to write for, who am I writing for? You know, I'm I'm writing for kind of like this set of rules and I don't like that. I just want to, I just want to go into it with a blank slate every time. My heart knows what's right, I think, and what's wrong. And I just want to write an original story and I don't want to have to think about, uh, I guess, a set of parameters that has been set out. So I I think, yeah, like I've tried to stay true to that from the first book until now. It's just kind of going, okay, like, let's just start. Let's not think about any expectations or anybody's kind of um, 
anybody else's uh, way of writing. Let's just write your, write our own book, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I really do try to do that every single time. That's great. No, I think that's, I think that's important. Well, and a lot of authors will speak to like writing the book that they want to read or like, I wrote this book for myself. Like, and I think, I think that's important because if you don't love what you're writing or you don't want to read the story you're writing, I think it's a little, you know, out there to think that or have this expectation that like, well, I don't like it, but somebody else will. I think it's, you're, you're going to have a much better bet if you love this story and know that, well, somebody else will love this story too, because I love it. Yeah. I mean, I always say like, if it turns you on, it's going to turn someone else on. And that's not just like, uh, you know, the spicy, spicy parts of the book. It's, you know, just like the romance part of it. Like if it's speaking to your heart and it's making your chest hurt and you feel invested in the story, someone else is going to feel that way about it too. Absolutely. And I I also want to, I also want to, I don't, I'm not putting down critique partners or being members of uh, a member of your local organizations. I think that's actually really positive for some people. Sure. But the way I work is like, if, if somebody even like remotely seems like they don't like my idea, I will drop it. It's yeah, like the second <laughs> I, feel I totally any kind get of that pushback. So I can't do it. Otherwise, nothing would ever get done. I don't find it helpful either if like and I, I teach online creative writing classes. And so I have these conversations with my students about providing critique and like valuable feedback and everything. And I also don't find it helpful when people just like praise every single thing too like oh this is great it's amazing like I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything like as you're in like outlining stages I'm like okay like um you know like I I want something but I also don't want everything you know so I mean I totally get the whole idea though to like keep things to yourself until the writing process is like already underway and then you have something to share with them that's like concrete like they can read something as opposed to just like an idea that maybe makes sense to you but it's I I mean I can't articulate my ideas to everyone either like nobody can see inside my head (laughs) yeah it's such a fragile balance between taking criticism but like also believing in your idea you know it's like I I have when you form a, a trust with an editor it's so valuable because it's like when they start to know exactly what your limits are mm-hmm. of criticism and they, or they find a way to tell you something without it sounding like a criticism. Wow. I'm just realizing as I'm saying this, like, oh, wow, you're such a, you have such a fragile ego. That's, they're like, they're like therapists. Like, honestly, it's the they same really thing are. with therapists. Yeah. It's like, you have to find the right balance. Like, do you want to be coddled or do you want to like get a talking to? <laughs> yeah. Or like my editor kind of has a way of being like, Oh, oh, wait, I don't understand this. Can you explain this to me? And then I'll be like talking it out. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, oh, that doesn't, like, I'm totally, yeah, like, I'm, this is not doing what I wanted it to do or this plot point. So um, just her being like, can you talk this out to me? And then I'll kind of go, okay. And then I'll fix it with her having, not having to say what exactly what it was. I'll just figure it out for myself. Yeah. So that's like her trusting me as well. So it's like a really good, like your editor is your teammate. Yeah. Give and take. Good teamwork makes the dream work. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Well, so here we are eight years later since the very first book and you've published a little bit of everything from cop romance. We have teddy bear baker romance. We have home (laughs) renovation romance and as of 2020, vampire romance. So my question is, what attracts you or inspires you to write such a diverse lineup of stories? Well, some of it has to do with just 
contractual, uh, you know, language. Like um, if I'm writing adult romance, uh, adult full length contemporary romance for Avon, uh, as I do now, I can't self publish something that's exactly like that mm, mm-hmm. because then I'm I'm competing with them. Do you know what you know what I mean? Like uh, the, then my self publishing books yeah. are competing with that. So I usually have to find something that's different, mm-hmm. um, which is nice for, I think that's a really healthy exercise for a writer to go, okay, well, I can't write this thing I'm comfortable with. Like, what can I write? So I'll go, okay, well, I can write, you know, I can write vampires. I can write, you know, like a short story, a short single, you know, um, standalone story, a new adult. I can write new adult. Um, I can write lifeguards. So I feel like it's really good. It keeps you from like falling into a pattern with your writing. You're you're definitely stretching yourself and like exercising new muscles. And like, it really, um, I think it's a good thing. And you can, then you can come back to contemporary with like a little bit of a new perspective and like fresh, fresh eyes. Yeah. Vampires. I don't know. (laughs) I was like, it really, I'm such a mood person that, so I have this series called the, um, uh, Beach Kingdom series, which is these three lifeguard brothers. And it took, I literally was at the beach with my daughter one, one day in Long Beach, right over here by our house. I watched a rescue take place. Like these, a lifeguard ran into the water and saved somebody, pulled them in uh, during a, like a rip, ter- rip current. And I was like, well, there's a series. Like, I guess I'm going to write. <laughs> I was so like, it was so I don't know how to describe it. It was like harrowing, obviously, but it was also like this real life event that was so right. like romantic in my head that I was like, oh my God, that was so heroic. And and then I just started writing stories. And so that, you know, like it's a mood thing almost. And then the vampires, I just happened to remember that series, TV series, Pushing Daisies. Oh. And I thought I would love to write a, a story with that tone, that kind of like dark comedic, like, yeah dark comedy tone. And so I, I just had this idea to write a vampire series of where he, you know, vampire falls for a mortician <laughs> and just cause I wanted to write in that tone. So it really, I'm just a mood. I'm a mood writer. It really, I just really never know what it's going to be. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the follow-up then is, is there anything you're not willing to explore and or write? I mean, no, <laughs> I, I've always said that like historical, I feel like is out of my, it's just, so, I mean, I've read it. I know it's complicated. They do like some tough work writing those historicals. And I feel like it's people that maybe have a huge interest in the time mm. periods that they're writing in. And I don't know if I have that inter- that level of interest in it. I just like, okay. I like reading historical, like Kerrigan Byrne, like, uh, and, you know, Sarah McLean. And I, I mean, they're doing the gods, they're doing the gods work. <laughs> Um, but I just, I'm like, that's a lot of research. I don't know. I'm like, I just want to write in the current times. Hey, nothing. (laughs) I know it. I know it. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I think there's also, and I saw somebody, um, I know you're not, you're not keeping up on the Twitter, but I saw somebody on the Twitter recently, um, post something about sort of the whole idea of like, historical there's so much research involved in historical obviously but there's a certain art to like contemporary writing as well in that because we're so familiar with contemporary and like the world that exists around us much more so than the average person is you know uh, knowledgeable about the regency era or the victorian era that we're also quicker to like 
harshly judge books set in contemporary time periods, like unless they're like if something's off about them, you know? And so I, I think there really is an art to writing contemporary romance. And I could see where some people might think of it as more challenging than writing historical. Yeah. Um, I think it does get, cha- I think like as, um, I don't want to say like, as you get older, cause I've been, <laughs> you're writing people in your, in their twenties and culture is fast and furious change. So it, it like, I, I do my best to, uh, I, I try to do my best to like um, stay current, you know, like I, I read the magazines I read when I was 20 and I, I follow the same, I follow TikTok and I follow new music and I try and stay, you know, abreast of like the current vernacular and um, things like that, because yeah, it's so such a swift current of change that like you can easily sound like you're, you could write a 28 year old person that sounds like they're 35 real quick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> It's a really, it really is like, um, you're right. There is kind of something that uh, is difficult about it and keeping it, keeping it authentic. Yeah. Because times do change so quickly. Do you ever think about writing, like whether it's a side effect of that whole idea or not, but do you ever think about writing like older characters, maybe in their thirties or forties, like that are kind of like aging, um, (laughs) It sounds so bad to say like they're aging as you age, but like we're all age. I mean, but uh, I just I just know like as a 30 year old at this point, like I'm much more inclined now to read a story about somebody in like the 28 to 35 range um, as opposed to like the 20 to 23 range. So I'm wondering if it's the same for you as a writer. It is. I can feel like I feel like that's really starting to to shift for me, Um, whereas like by some 37 and I feel like as I get, as I get older, not, uh, uh, not old, just older. <laughs> 37 is not old. No. Um, but like, uh, I, I, I feel like I'm more inclined to read about characters my age, um, mm. and where I wouldn't have wanted to read a character, a character who was 37 or 38 or even 40 when I was in my twenties, I just wouldn't have picked it up, you know, but now I'm like, I want to read about a 38 year old woman falling in love. Hell yeah. Like I want to read about her falling in love with a younger man, which is like a trope that never would have, never would have appealed to me, you know, 10 years ago. But now it's like, that sounds like really good stuff. Um, (laughs) So it definitely is changing as I get older and I'm starting to um, like things that I said, I would never do or write seem to be opening up. Uh, like those doors seem to be opening up. They don't seem to be as sealed uh, as tightly shut as they used to be. So yeah, like Piper was, I mean, Piper was 30 and it happened one summer. Yeah, I want to say she was 29 or 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely see myself sneaking towards closer to, to closer to the thirties than I would say with the twenties. Um, Me lately. too. <laughs> <laughs> as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, um, perfect segue into today's, uh, you know, book discussion. And that is we will be talking about Tessa's latest release. It happened one summer. It's available now. It's also the first book in a series. And the follow-up book, Hook, Line, and Sinker, will be out in March 2022, though it is available for pre-order at this time. So more on that later. But Tessa, we have something in common, and that is our shared love of Shit's Creek. And the reason I bring that up is because it happened one summer is a Shit's Creek-inspired romance. So I'd love if you could talk about how that came about. Yeah, I mean, Shit's Creek, I feel like it's so funny. It, it was on it was on for several seasons before anybody like really picked up on the right. magic of it. And then it just exploded. And um I I watched it sort of towards the beginning of 2020, which we all know what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 2020. <laughs> and it was like a comfort watch. Like I I would turn it on and I would feel fine. I would feel like everything was gonna be okay because it, they were like wrapping up these episodes with like a heartfelt moral message of of just like acceptance and family and, and just um, optimism at the end of these 30 minute episodes. And I like, I just fell in love with that show and Mm -hmm. the town that it was set in and just the, I don't know, just what it represents (laughs) as a, just people loving each other. And, and I wanted to write something. I wanted to write something for Alexis Rose because, you know, that, I don't think this is a spoiler when I say like, you know, her romantic journey, maybe, uh, well, maybe this is a spoiler. You know well, what? I want... People haven't watched Shit's Creek <laughs> by this point. Like they, this is on them for not, for not knowing. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, so, you know, she falls, she falls in love with herself. I would say like uh, I agree. by the end of the se- by, the, by the end of the series. Um, and that was the point I think for her and which was, it was perfectly done. Oh, just beautiful. But I wanted to give her a uh, romantic uh, story as and I, and I, cause I, she was my favorite character. I love, I just, I love an underestimated woman. I love a woman who everybody counts out and then she comes in and proves everybody wrong. Um, so that's, that's Piper, uh, for me. And it happened one summer. I, I took this socialite, this pampered socialite who basically just gotten by on her looks her entire life. And I send her to a Pacific Northwest town called <laughs> Westport <laughs> uh, with no money and just her younger sister in tow, who is like, they're just ride or die. Like they're best, they're best friends. They love each other yeah. to death. They want to do everything for each other and make her fall in love with a, a sea captain who just wants <laughs> absolutely, he thinks he wants nothing to do with her. He just can't stop coming around to check up on her. Yeah. It's just a feel good book. It just, a, it's just a, Absolutely. I wanted it to feel the way Schitt's Creek made me feel. Which, kind of what it was. Which was a very unique experience, like watching Schitt's Creek. And I, and I think a lot of people have found a similar experience with Ted Lasso, which I haven't I haven't gotten to watch yet because I don't have um, Apple TV. So, um, but 
it, it was just a show that was so interesting in that it was so positive and like people just existed in the bodies they existed in like you know black white gay straight like whoever you were there were no questions asked it was just like this beautiful small town full of acceptance and love and yeah and I think that's what especially during 2020 gave so many people comfort and so I love that it inspired you enough to write a book that you know took one of the characters and plucked them you know out of the socialite (laughs) scene and put them into Westport Washington which by the way is a real place um so (laughs) and not that far from Portland Oregon where I am at this point so I'm thinking a road road trip trip might be in the near future (laughs) well do you know I'm doing they invited me to come there and do a book signing did I tell you that no but I that was literally one of my questions was if you had heard any response from the town of Westport Yes. So there's a there's a Instagram account called Experience Westport, um, who originally got in contact with me and they were like, oh, my gosh, like, this is great. You should come here. You should come to Westport. And I'm like, really? And then I I was just kind of like, I didn't really I mean, I took it seriously, but I didn't really think it would ever come to any fruition. And then Westport Winery, which is featured in the book, they reached out to me and they were like, come to a book signing. And I was like, okay, <laughs> well, I'm not going to say no to a winery. <laughs> um, yeah. Like books and wine. Are you kidding? When, when is that happening? Do we have a date on that? Well, I'm so, I'm still talking to them, but I like the idea is to do it the week of uh hook line and sinkers release, which is the, the follow-up to it happened one summer. Yeah. Okay. So that would be like the first week of March. All right. Well, um, I mean, <laughs> I guess I'll be there. <laughs> I guess so. I guess we're gonna meet in person. If if the world is if the world's looking good at that point, I will I will absolutely fly there. I I die I would die to go and see just like the real setting of yeah. the book because I you can only get so much of a feeling through like the I mean endless Google Earth searches and you know image searches and you know watching videos <laughs> and things like that. Being there is different seeing the people and talking I agree to people and yeah yeah well let's so since we're on the topic let's talk about um the small town of Westport because as a longtime reader of your books and knowing you know that you've lived in New York for for a long time that you don't often write small town romance and so I'm wondering what were some of the benefits and challenges of writing a small town let alone a small town that's actually inspired by a real a real town yeah I mean it was definitely a, a you know a change I do like writing and I do like writing in a city setting but I, I moved to Long Island uh, a few years back I've kind of gotten used to the smaller town vibe I'm not in a small town I wouldn't say but it's definitely smaller than Manhattan yeah or Brooklyn where I was before <laughs> um so it it's like I just, I've just started to kind of appreciate that. And it can just be, it can be just as exciting. Mm -hmm. There can be just as much um, drama and places to go and things to do. Um, Then you can get, then you can have in a city. It's, um, it's, it's just kind of different, a different kind of excitement. And there is something really comforting about familiarity. I think um, that readers like, so, Mm -hmm. and I like it as a reader. I like picking up a small town romance for sure. So, uh, I thought I'd try writing it. And I just, I did like, I did like having, you know, um, Piper interact with like a 
Abe, you know, like the local old man. And she started like walking him uh, up the stairs of the, the museum so he could sit down. Yeah. And, like, and then just like little things that endeared her to the town and endeared the town to her. Mm-hmm. And she probably wouldn't have had in a city, you know, she never would have had those things. So um, it just like, uh, I, yeah, I hope I, I hope I did it justice, like that small town feeling that so many people can, achieve, I mean, so many authors achieve, you know, so much so that you were invited to come to Westport. So I, I feel like, <laughs> well, I feel like they were pleased with the representation of their city. <laughs> Uh, I hope so. I hope they didn't read it all the way through. I'm like, I don't know if they realized how much like you know SEX was in it, or they where they reached out to me. But we'll see. Um. I love it. No, I mean it's it's interesting that you know when we first meet Piper, she is very much the Instagram socialite. You know, uh, spending daddy's money, although it's stepdaddy in this book, um, and she she's all about image and social media and i and i think that's such a major part of our lives in general today um especially authors and podcasters and bloggers like w- social media is like this double edged sword of like it's it's both a dependable tool when it comes to marketing your brand um but also <laughs> that there's there's such a dark side to it in, in making it like so accessible towards everybody um and i and i really liked that when we first meet Piper, you know, um, she's going through a, uh, a breakup and it's not a spoiler. I mean, this happens on like page one, but it's, it's so public. Like everything is public. It's on social media in a couple minutes, what's happened. But like, she can go to this small town where everybody knows everybody's business by word of mouth. And <laughs> they're just so much more caring and considerate than you know obviously all these strangers on the internet who have something to say about everybody even if they don't know you and it's it's just a really nice subtle commentary I think on what social media is and like what it can be both in the positive and negative sense yeah I I mean I think uh I think you're right I think it's double-edged sword you know like it helps us stay connected right um, they're really it's a good way of getting certain messages out that are really important um but then, you know, you start to kind of validate yourself through str- like a straight, the strangers liking, strangers liking your pictures, strangers liking your posts, mm-hmm. and you kind of lose sight of like what's around you, you know? And so Piper, she goes to Westport and she kind of has to rely on like herself in real life, you know, like people are talking to her through a screen. They're not seeing one snapshot of her. And judging her based on that, they're right. literally judging her based on her actions, what she says, what she does, and she's not getting credit for it on the internet, you mm-hmm. know. It, and it kind of, um, it kind of opens her eyes up to like, what, why is she really, why she's really on these social media platforms, and why she relies on them so heavily, yeah, for for approval. When this approval from one old, like this one little old man, or this makes hot surly sea captain, or like all these different <laughs> people she meets validation from them feels so much more realistic and so much more um authentic it feels authentic and it feels it just feels uh just more valuable so yeah I agree I I recently watched Bo Burnham's special inside on Netflix and there's that song white woman's Instagram which I like as I was reading this I'm like oh yep there it is she is like the quintessential white woman's Instagram which if you haven't seen it Tessa you absolutely need to go watch like even if you just watch that one they have a music video for it on 
YouTube. Like, it, oh, oh, so good. The whole special is fantastic. I love Bo Burnham. I've, I haven't seen the current special, but I watched the one before it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's always kind of crazy, like, it's, it, it's good, I think, to watch these stand-up specials yeah. from certain people because, like, you do get called out and um, in a way that's like, okay, yeah, that, that's right. Oh, for I sure. I am like that. I feel it. I <laughs> mean, too. I, I do. I, and it kind of makes you a little more self-aware. I mean, that doesn't hurt anybody, you know, to become more, a little bit more self-aware of what you're doing and, and how other people perceive it. And, sure. And if it's hurtful or if it's sometimes you just don't consider things like that. So it's, I think it's, yeah, behooves us to like listen to sometimes. This, uh, especially Bo Burnham. He seems to really, I watched this, um, I watched this Bill Burr special and I realized he's very controversial. He got, uh, Mm -hmm. he was controversial on Saturday night live, but he kind of called out white women as well. Mm -hmm. And I was going, Jesus, like (laughs) that really, I mean, it made me pay attention, you know, it made me yeah. really think about my actions and things. Here's the difference between like Bill Burr and Bo Burnham in that I saw, I saw the Saturday Night Live that Bill Burr did host and I, there were, there were moments that I chuckled at, but the, a lot of it, I just, I didn't take a lot of stake in because I feel like he calls out everybody else except himself. Whereas oh. with Bo Burnham, Bo Burnham, like, everybody is fair. Like, he he talks about, like, oh, my gosh, I'm a white man with privilege. Like, here are my – he has a song that's called, like, um, what is it? It's, like, White Male Tears or something. And it's all about all the things that, like, are so hard for him because he's a white man. But yeah. he does it with such, like, self-awareness and self-deprecation that you're, like, you know that he's including himself in on the population that's being – made fun of and so I, I love how he's so aware of who his comedy is hitting because nine out of ten times it's also hitting him and so I that's what makes me appreciate his comedy more um it, it just seems like a lot more aware and current and so that's that's what I love about him and this special is very different from his other stuff like don't get me wrong okay. you will laugh for sure but this is also a product, you know, just like you wrote this book in 2020 as like a, you know, cure-all for the the feelings and emotions that everyone was experiencing in 2020. He made this special inside his house by himself, written, directed, produced, all of it, just him. And it's sort of like the toll that it takes on his mental health and like how yeah. he's experiencing depression and anxiety during 2020 and so I mean there there are funny moments like white woman's Instagram but there are also <laughs> much darker moments um and it's it's a roller coaster ride for sure but yeah I, I really appreciated it cool I'll check it out yeah I follow him on Instagram and so I, I I know the concept behind it and I realize uh that he did it like inside yeah is it called inside yeah is it called inside <laughs> okay yeah and um, I kind of like watched, I feel like I was seeing the process as it was happening, but haven't watched the final product yet. But I do, I once, uh, I stood behind him once at a Barnes and Noble. Ooh. <laughs> but my friend, my friend Shannon actually pointed, she goes, is that Bo Burnham? And I was like, that's Bo Burnham. Is he so, tall? It was is a he long just time as ago. tall as I picture him? <laughs> yes. This is a long, long time ago though. This was probably, I want to say this is, yeah, like he was probably just kind of coming up through the. Yeah comedic ranks but wow that's awesome I saw him live um it (laughs) it would have been like five or six years ago when I saw him on stage it was for his what special I saw him live and uh yeah he was great just as good live as he is um 
on camera. So uh, there you go. One more thing to check out. It's definitely not the same vibes as um, it happened one summer or Shit's Creek, but it'll make you think. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, there's room for everything, right? You yeah. know, like there's room for, yeah, there's room for everything. You know, like I think that that's part of just part of like, mm-hmm. you know, like stepping outside of yourself sometimes is like, yeah, like Bill Burr is more abrasive, but like it does, you know, like different things can make you think, you know, right. even if you don't like them or something, you know? Well, and it's just um, nice to think, to see all the different things that have come out of 2020. Like we've seen so many different pieces of art and movies and books at, that have come out of 2020 and, and authors specifically acknowledging like in their author notes, like I found solace watching TikTok so much so that I based a book off of this male model on TikTok or I watched a lot of Shit's Creek and I wondered when does Alexis get her love story so I mean it's <laughs> it really is interesting to see just sort of like what people did with that year where we all basically put our lives on pause and what because I think these are pieces of art that are going to be very monumental like moving forward like this is a this is history this is a piece of time that not everybody you know 30 years from now is going to say that they got to experience I mean I I think about it all the time just like the fact that so many like not only created people created art during this period but like people moved like yeah people moved to places they never would have moved to and they're going to meet different people that they would have met and lives are going to be changed like the whole course of history just it's like it just like a house of cards, like, you know, like cards just got yes. thrown up into the air and landed on all different places. And so now we have all these intertwining stories that, you know, like these paths that are converging on each other and different lives, like mm-hmm. um, affecting, affecting other people's lives. And it's just, it's going to be crazy to think about like in 10 years when people are talking about what their life would have been like if they had it, if this pandemic had never happened. And it's true. I think that there's there's going to be art coming out of this for for decades to come. Yeah, you know? I agree because I don't think we've seen the, the full effect of it yet. I think no. there's still yeah, there's still like stories unfolding because of this that will be yeah. unfolding for a long time. It's a nice positive spin on like what you know is clearly like a a, a low point in you know our our global yes. history. Um, not even like, I can't even say just our, our country's history. Like this is a global, global effect, yeah. but, um, yeah, well, ugh, anyway, um, that's a <laughs> lot, but still We're important. So deep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll lighten it up a little bit and I'll take you back to Piper. Um, and, and ask, you know, Piper's obviously inspired by Alexis Rose. Um, you know, on top of that in the book, Piper inherits, if you will, a small bar in a small town, much like we see the Rose family inherit the small town of Schitt's Creek in the series. Um, so I'm wondering, are there any other Schitt's Creek isms that can be found within the book? I mean, I, not really, you know, like my, I really didn't want to, I didn't want to like take, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to take any of the concept of Schitt's Creek really. And, and, um, it was really just a matter of like taking a character, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a lot of characteristics of, of, of a certain character, Latin Alexis Rose and kind of putting her into a landscape that I could create, that I created. Yeah. Uh, there isn't a lot, no, there isn't a lot of, um, you know, except for like the quirky townspeople. And, and the heart like and the feeling. And the heart of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there isn't, there isn't necessarily, uh, 
any other Schitt's Creek Easter eggs. Although like I kind of regret not putting some in now. <laughs> like because a couple of people have asked me, they're like, what other Schitt's Creek Easter eggs you know are what? there? And I'm like, I don't people, I any of people them. will find the Schitt's Creek Easter eggs if they want to find them, whether they're <laughs> intentional or not. I mean, we've talked about Piper a bunch, so I think it's only fair we mention Brendan, our grumpy but hunky fisherman. And um I think, you know, I, I, I think you mentioned it to me during the panel that a lot of people have kind of like compared him to Mutt from Schitt's Creek. Um, and I think that's just wishful thinking on their part because they wanted Team Mutt versus Team Ted. But um, let's I mean, you mentioned earlier that you you never write the same character twice, like as much as you want to. They're all they're they're unique, sexy, dirty talking snowflakes. Um, and so I'm wondering where did the where did the storyline for Brendan come from? He's not like Mutt to me. I will say that I don't think he comes across like Mutt. Um, I don't think he does either. Because like I, I don't know. I'm hopefully I'm not in the minority here when I say that Mutt was like really exciting in those chapters when they were kind of like dancing around each other or mm-hmm. those episodes where they were like kind of you know, he was dating somebody else and she liked him from afar and he was like very exciting. And then like, it lost the magic for me when they finally got together. When it did for them too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just kind of like fell flat. I don't know how to just, I, I, it might've just been that he shaved his beard. I don't know. Am I that superficial? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I am. Brendan kind of, I don't know where he came from. He, he just kind of like, I, I think I've been saying, like, you know, he said, I said, he's like a metaphor kind of like, the uh, personification of the ocean. Yeah. He's just the steady, dependable, like you can count, you can set your watch on him. He's always going to be there. He's always going to show up at the right time. Um, you know, like he's eternal. He's this man. Who kind of <laughs> made it, he's made his living on the ocean. He's a throwback to men who work with their hands, men who make their living with this from the sea. And uh, she's completely, he's completely foreign to Piper, who's kind of like been dating these men who are like her in a way. They're like the male versions of her that they, they live and die based on how many social media followers they have. And they are always trying to find the new exciting thing that's going to make them appear new and exciting to other people. Right. And Brendan doesn't give a shit about any of that. He doesn't have an Instagram. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. He's mm-hmm. there to like support the men in his crew. He's there to um, provide food and sustenance to the village, which is <laughs> such like an old concept. You it know? is. And- I mean, you talk about not writing historical romance, but I will say <laughs> there is something like romantically historical about Brendan's character. Like he does, he almost feels like, a man that you could have plucked out of a different point in time and like put into this contemporary romance. Yeah, I agree. Like he doesn't feel like a modern man. He feels like, um, you know, he just has these really kind of, uh, his old fashioned mannerisms and a way of looking at things that is really refreshing. Mm-hmm. I, I just think to not only to Piper, but just to me as a reader or a writer, just like I, I, I like writing about a man who doesn't worry about the things that I worry about, you know, yes. like who has just a, who just is like kind of only concerned with like the basic human needs. And that's all he wants. He wants you to be happy and he wants to he wants to do his job and do it well and like not let anybody down and just be dependable. And all, I just like there's something that's so romantic and like 
Oh yeah. It's so easy. (laughs) Yeah. No. And that's, that's exactly what it is too, is it's easy. And I think, you know, speaking as a single woman who dating is just like, I mean, it's, it's so complicated. Like I feel like when it's not complicated, then I almost have this feeling of needing to complicate it because simple is, is like, this can't be right. Like something's wrong with it being simple. I'm missing something. I'm waiting for like the other shoe to drop. And in this case, that's, that's not it. He just is very much a man who does and says exactly what he means. And isn't that nice? It's definitely not one. I I gotta go to Westport. I gotta, I go to Westport, <laughs> Washington and find me a sea captain. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I think that that's like, I think that that's, what I take away from listening to people talk about dating these days and maybe even just like my past experience as well is that you're always trying to hunt through somebody's a man's head yeah. these days to, to figure out what it, like what are you thinking and like what do you want to do and like what, what do you want from me and what do you think about me and like what do we think about each other like you're just constantly trying to get this like we want to know all the answers we want to yeah, know like, everything tell me what you're thinking yeah like, stop making me hunt for it <laughs> and so it's really refreshing when like a man is just like well I want to date you and uh <laughs> like this is what we're doing and um I like you and I I don't want you to go back to LA and just you know, like this is what's important to me. And this yeah. is what I, you know, and I, I just think it's so nice to have an open book in a male character like that. Cause it's so rare in real life. I know. Where is he? Like, this isn't fair, <laughs> but no, no, I'm, I'm with you. It's just, and I know, I know in real life, you know, as I think about that, it's, it's more of like me tackling my own insecurities. And I think w- women are set up from a very early age to be like competitive with one another, Um, Whether it comes to, you know, beauty standards or competing for like a men's attention. And so um, but but in reality, I mean, some of my favorite TikTok videos are watching the ones where men are just like, ladies, if you think we're worried about these things, guess what? We're not. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's we don't care so if you have shiny light. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's really refreshing. I love that. I love it. I yeah, love it. more of that. Why don't you just say it to our faces instead that's, of doing it on TikTok? That's what it is. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Is if can you imagine if we lived in a world where everybody said exactly what was on their mind like all the time? I mean, I'm sure parts of it would be um, very negative, but at the same time, it would solve a lot of problems. Like there would just be very like you could just tell somebody, "I'm not interested." Oh, great, done. We're done. That's awesome. I can move yeah, on. Yeah, it would save it would save you having to like overanalyze every yeah. conversation you have every single time for days. You know, like if you just knew exactly what everybody thought. Oh, that, it, yeah, someday it would save some time. <laughs> Maybe we'll get there. But um, anyway, um, well, and I guess it goes uh, it goes without saying that if anybody has read a Tessa Bailey book, they know that illustrated cover or not, there's going to be some. Steam. Um, and so I'm wondering, what is your process when it comes to writing the steamier scenes in a romance? I know that I've talked to authors who start with steamy scenes. I know that there's some people who dread writing steamy scenes. So I'm wondering, what's it like for you? Uh, I definitely don't. I love writing them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I feel like sometimes I'm racing towards them and I'm kind of like, I'm thinking about how I want it to go down. Um, 
but I have to write them in order of the story mm. because I really feel like, you know, where they're at in their relationship uh, or how it's progressing plays a huge role in like how it ends up going, how, how it ends up sure. playing out, you know, like, are they, are they still dancing around each other? Is this a big dramatic remote romantic moment? Um, does she still feel, does she feel vulnerable? Does he feel like she's misreading, you know, like just misreading him? Like there is a lot that goes into it. It just depends on like where they are at that exact moment in the story right. for me. So I can't write it ahead of time. It's gotta be like real organic, really mm-hmm. in the moment stuff. I really like it to, if I can, um, I, yes, they're very steamy and they're, uh, you know, like we were just talking about the male filter being gone and they are <laughs> gone in these scenes. I like it. You know, I just love that wall coming down, total honesty. Yeah. I love um, the woman wanting to be objectified and the man giving her what she wants, <laughs> you know, love like, it. yeah. And uh, I just, um, I, I want to like, I want to find a way to move the romantic plot forward in those scenes if I can, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't want them to be just about the hookup. I want it to be, um, you know, one of them reveals something to each other in the, in the, one of those weak, you know, in one of those moments of uh, passion, mm-hmm. if something comes out, that's going to come up later or something, some, maybe she admits something, uh, or he admits something, uh, you know, well, his filter's gone. That just kind of like reveals something to the other character. And then it changes the way they feel about each other afterwards. And I really like, that's really what the goal is. Yeah, vulnerabilities. Um, That's I I like to see that a lot in I mean, I think that the steamier sex scenes like that's what they have like the power to do is bring out true honesty vulnerabilities like between the characters. And that's what I like to see because that's when I, I look beyond like just the sex and see the romance and the intimacy and the love connection. Yes, um. I, I think vulnerability in each character, um, that's kind of like when I, when I'm creating characters, their vulnerability is one of the things I work on the hardest. Mm. Um, cause I think it, it not only relates the characters to each other, but at, you know, just, it relates them to the reader. Like when I'm reading a character, I, their vulnerability is kind of what that's that conduit from me to them, you know, cause I'm yeah. not like, I don't necessarily relate to every single character. You know, I don't, I'm not, I can't, I I can't relate necessarily to every single character I read, but if they have some like an insecurity that I, that I even remotely share or have shared in the past with them, I can, I can put myself in their shoes. So um, yeah, it's something I, I definitely work the hardest on. And during those steamy scenes, like um, yes, there's a lot of, a lot of revealing of that, of those, those chinks in the armor. Yeah. Well, um, looking ahead at the next book in the series, which obviously we're going to celebrate the release of in Westport, Washington, <laughs> um, in March of 2022, uh, what what can we expect? I mean, I, I already know, and I think anybody who's read the book knows whose romance this is going to be, but can you give us any any inside look at the, the next book? Yeah. So it's a Fox and Hannah. Uh, Fox is Brendan his, his kind of like first mate, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, they call him a, he's a relief skipper is what they would call him on the boat. But he is kind of like the, uh, he's the town playboy. He's, the, he's a womanizer. He's, um, and then he meets Hannah and he just loves her. I don't know how to describe it. He just like loves Hannah 
so much. Uh, he's he and she is his first female friend. You know, she's mm. the first fe- woman who's ever kind of not wanted to pursue him in any way except like to be his buddy. And they become really close. They spend six months texting and becoming really close friends. And then she has to go back to Westport to film. She's on a production team for a movie. So they're there to film a movie in Westport. And uh, she can't stay with Piper because Piper's, uh, you know, future in-laws are there Mm -hmm. uh, staying in Piper's guest room. So she has to stay with Fox in his apartment on the harbor. And, you know, there's forced proximity. It's friends to lovers. It deals a lot with kind of like toxic masculinity, which I kind of didn't see coming because he's been, he's kind of had this like, I don't know, like this like weight put on his shoulders from a very young age of like, oh, you're going to be a lady killer, you know, like, oh, the girls Uh, are going to love you. And like from an age that it wasn't even appropriate yet, you know, like, you know how we do that to children and we shouldn't. Yeah, (laughs) when we're like asking five-year-olds if they have girlfriends. Yeah, do you have a girlfriend? Yeah. Stop it. (laughs) He's told a lot of that. So he's, um, so he's got that, he's like kind of carrying with him that's sort of shaded his behavior, I'd say, throughout adulthood. And Hannah just kind of like, like, you know, she comes into her own in the book too. There's, there's a sea shanty I wrote in there. It's fantastic. <laughs> so you're going to love it. It's, um, it's really, it's crazy to me that people are already reading it because like the arcs went out. Yeah. Um, I just got one on NetGalley. Yeah. So I'm excited. My thing is I'm, I want to dive in immediately, but at the same time I'm like, oh no, 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 no. It's not out for so many months. Like don't do it yet. Cause you're just going to want to talk about that book and like we still have so many months in between and there's other books like oh net galley what are you doing to me i know it like it, it really became available like two weeks after it happened one summer and i was like guys i can't write this fast they know yeah. they're like everybody's gonna want to read this one immediately after our greedy greedy hearts and i i don't even feel guilty i don't even feel guilty about it but it's, <laughs> it's so true uh yeah i'm excited well and then i'm wondering um do you have plans to write more books in this series or was it always intended to be a two book series I always intended it to be two books and that's going to be it. So um, I don't know why. Uh, I think I just kind of like, I'm so easily distracted. I'm always wanting to move on to something sure. and like, I'm like shiny, that's shiny. Like, like, I, <laughs> I'm like, I think that a lot of authors deal with that, um, that I started kind of getting, I get impatient by the time I hit the third book in a series. So I was like, why don't I just not write three books? Why don't I write two? <laughs> and like, I, I feel like it was a really good thing because I poured my heart and soul. I was able to just give everything to these two books yes. without feeling the pressure of that third book. And I feel like it just was a really good move for me. Um, so, but I already have another series planned with Avon. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to Napa Valley, so I, I can tell you that much. I've yeah. got zero complaints about that. We're just trading wineries. From... <laughs> I'm just going to stick with the wine. I'm going to stick with the wine theme. Yeah. Uh, you could just do a yeah, tour so. down the West Coast. Just go Washington. Now we're hitting up Napa. <laughs> then you have to go into like, let me think where you go in SoCal. It's like maybe like, Well, I'm oh, from San Diego originally. Okay. I was thinking like, oh, so, hi. But yeah, like somewhere, because they've got some great wineries down in or Temecula like some great wineries down there yeah they absolutely do um and also yes there's I mean I'm from Carlsbad which is like a real beachy Mm. like small beachy town and I'm like I can't do that for a couple series (laughs) because (laughs) I just did a small waterside town I I I almost I almost pitched them a series that was like in Martha's Vineyard and I was like wait a minute 
I was like, you're just doing the same. We're just taking it to the East the Coast. Same town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I, I'm really excited about it. It's um, the first book is going to be about a woman who is writing love letters to her, uh, those, this man she's been in love with since childhood. So oh, it's going to be your home. Great. Yeah. Love letters yeah. in Napa Valley. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> right? It sounds really swoony. Yeah. Swoony and like atmospheric. So I'm looking forward to writing it. Well, and then maybe it's too much to think about now since you obviously have so much on your plate, but I'm always curious about whether or not authors have a dream project, the story that you're dying to write that's just sort of like lurking around your brain. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) As if there's just one of them. Like, let's be honest. (laughs) I have like, uh, see, it's one of those things where it's a dream project in my head, but I don't know if I could, I don't know if it would translate onto paper until I actually sat down and started to write it. I don't know. But I have this like time travel book in my head, you know, that I've always, it's always kind of sat there. Okay. And (laughs) I don't know, like maybe someday, like this woman, this girl kind of goes back in time to save the boyfriend that she couldn't save. Um, Like he ran, he, he, he did something heroic, like ran into a building to save somebody and never came out. And now she's going back in time to like solve it and, and save him. And I've always had that in my head, but I don't know. I just like. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I would pick up a time travel book. So why not? I I love, I I do love Karen Marie Moaning has that Uh that time travel Highlander series that I, I like still think about those books and I love those books. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you, we read one of those for the podcast and it was, and I granted, I picked up like the fourth or fifth book in the series. Like I did not start at the beginning. It was one of the most wild things I've ever read. Like not, wild. not in like a negative way, not in a positive way. It was just wild. Like, <laughs> I mean, at one point, this Scottish Highlander dude is like trapped in a mirror and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? I forgot on? about that until you just said it. Oh yeah. My gosh. Degas and, and, and like the other one. Yes. And- they all are just these like, oh, just like these just, um, complicated alpha males. With yes. Dark cats. Yes. And you're like, <laughs> it's so addictive. And then the, the heroines are so interesting and like um, loyal. And that's yeah. the kind of thing I like to read. Um, but yeah, it's always been in the back of my head. I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to write it. Uh, but I hope you do. Why not? I hope you do get the <laughs> chance to write it and you just go for it. And you know what? Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe, you know, but I mean, it's, you won't know until you, you know, try to put it on the page. But, um. Yeah, that's true. Mm, I'm excited. I would love to read a uh, Tessa Bailey time travel romance. <laughs> hey, I mean, now, now that I put it out to the universe. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like I have to do something about it. So. <laughs> Manifest. <laughs> It's so true. Yeah. Well, um, Tessa, where can everybody find and follow you and keep up with, you know, what you've got coming coming up on your plate here? Follow me on Instagram at uh, Tessa Bailey is an author. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm I'm at author Tessa Bailey on TikTok, which uh, I found having a lot of fun on TikTok these days. And um, exploring my acting side. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, and also TessaBailey.com if you want to like um, join my newsletter or see what's out and all the different series are on there. So yeah. And obviously we can all meet you in person in Westport, Washington next year. Yeah, hopefully. stay tuned. 
Stay tuned. I should have some news uh, about that soon. I'm gonna. I have to like reach back out to them and be like, "Are you guys gonna sell tickets, or are we just gonna like put this out and We're just, I gonna just show up? And show see what up. <laughs> Everybody gets a couple tickets for wine. Um, you know that that would be so much fun. And I really, really do hope this happens because. I'm like two and a half hours away. I, I know I'm going to be there. Whether or not you're, you're there, I'll be there. <laughs> okay, deal. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I guess I'll meet you in Westport. <laughs> I'll meet you in Westport. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Boobies and Newbies is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You can follow Boobies and Newbies on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Boobies Podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.